0: I hope you're all well and that you've had a lovely week. Thank you so much for the amazing reviews you've been leaving. I read them all and they genuinely make my day and they give the show a little boost. So thank you very much. I'm thrilled to tell you that this episode of Desert Island Dishes is brought to you in partnership with Sweaty Betty. They're a brand that's passionate about empowering women through fitness, but also to the world beyond, which I'm all in favor of. They make the best leggings in the business, in my humble opinion. The power leggings are a revelation. And obviously, they're great for working out in, but they're also great for pottering about in, general walking around in, and they're just seriously comfy. I love the work that Sweaty Betty do with lots of different charities, from Fallen Angels Dance Theatre, to Body Positivity Movement, and also the anti-bullying charity Ditch the Label. I just think they're thoroughly good eggs. And to celebrate this, they've given you, the listener, a 20% off discount code, which is quite simply Desert Island Dishes. That's just all one word. And thank you very much to Sweaty Betty. Here is today's episode. My guest today is Roz Purcell. Roz is a best selling cookery author, a blogger, and entrepreneur. She grew up on a farm in Tipperary and has since traveled the world as a model and as a beauty queen, winning Miss Universe Ireland in 2010. Having developed an unhealthy relationship with food during her modeling years, her blog Natural Born Feeder and her subsequent cookbooks were born out of a change in her lifestyle and falling back in love with cooking. She now does triathlons, iron women competitions, organizes group hikes, continues to share recipes and is a regular face on Irish TV welcome, Roz. Well,
1: that was an introduction <laughs> and a half. Oh my God, I'm going to steal that now. Yeah, you done so many things. Everywhere I go, you can go into the room before me and <laughs> okay, do the exact voice yeah. everything. I'll be there me. at your wedding. Yes. Just like, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: so your childhood growing up in Tipperary on a farm sounded kind of idyllic. And I love that you describe your family as the faulty towers of farming.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't think there was a day that went past that we weren't woken up early or we weren't dragged from the dinner table to go hunt cows that had broken out. So yeah, it was one of those farms and it still is to this day, but without the cows. So my dad used to be um, a beef farmer. He is no longer for health reasons. (laughs) But
0: also isn't he now a vegan? He is. Did that come inside?
1: No, but not really. So I think maybe looking back, you know, obviously the agricultural industry in Ireland is huge. It still is huge. My dad just decided to go a bit more plant-based and this was really to kind of get down his weight and just becoming a little more health conscious and just i guess you know there's fantastic producers in ireland yes there is but for him it was just getting more vegetables into his diet so he's plant-based at home and he kind of has a his little kind of whatever he wants meal if he's out because we live down in a rural part of chipperary now there is fantastic food choices but you know i think a vegan diet hasn't you know, there's not a huge amount of options. Yeah, so. it's quite difficult. Yeah, I know he eats at home pretty much all the time. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> he's addicted to chickpea scramble at the moment. Oh my goodness, because yeah. that's one of your specialties. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so sweet.
0: Let's talk straight away about the first Desert Island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: Okay, so this is pretty tough because I feel <laughs> like all I did growing up was eat. Um, <laughs> but the dish that reminds me of home the most is actually a sweet dish and it is blackberry crumble. Mm. The reason for this is we have a huge kind of... Um, We have a few fields out the back and there's a ditch that must run about 400 meters that just is blackberries. So my job during, once it hit August, September, was to pick blackberries to make crumble. Uh, So I feel like not only does it remind me at home, it also reminds me of a little bit of child labor. (laughs) But um, I still to this day, it's my one of my favorite desserts. You know, we could go on about our chocolate puddings and cheesecakes, but having a blackberry crumble, even rhubarb crumble, because we grow rhubarb at home, just brings back it's just such a nostalgic thing for me yeah the best and you say that
0: as a child you liked staying at your grandparents mainly because they didn't make you do any chores (laughs) but also you got to cook all the time and your grandmother sounds like she was an amazing baker
1: yeah you know growing up I actually thought that that was her job (laughs) but um you know every single day she would make me breakfast lunch dinner and and then of course dessert. You know, we had dessert with Evernote you know, growing up and she'd always make her delicious scones and her soda breads. And she taught me everything I know about cooking and baking. So um, you know what, it worked out great because you know, she looked after me growing up, and in their last few years, we kind of my sister and I got to return the favor and look oh, after them and cook. So it was really so nice. nice. Yeah, did she have a speciality? Well, I think like her thing, like a lot of Irish grannies, it's just her bread and her scones, you know. They're
0: good, Can't beat them. yeah. <laughs> I found something you said where you described how you've always found cooking very therapeutic, even as a child. And that's one of the wonderful things about cooking. But I think many people discover that later in life, or maybe that isn't true. But what a great thing to have found out so early on.
1: Yeah, you know what, I guess growing up in the country, I think any kids who, who live in a rural rural place, sometimes life get a little bit boring. Well, I wasn't, maybe it's different now because we didn't have social media. I wasn't really allowed to watch too much TV. So for me, being able to cook. And, you know, it was the one thing I had free reign. My parents, if I said, I want to bake cake, they would go, as long as you clean up. Yeah. (laughs) And for me, it was like me time. It was time to experiment. Like as a kid, you love seeing what's going to turn out if you mix all these things together. So being allowed to have that creative control at such a young age inspired a passion, but also made me realize that I forgot about everything else that happened in the day. Now, when you're growing up, you don't really have much troubles. You're not stressed. So I suppose I didn't look at as therapy then, but as I grew up into my teenage years, I definitely cooked more during exams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A good excuse to get <laughs> <Yeah. a> revision.
0: <laughs> That's really interesting, like the idea of rural living now that, you know, social media is what it is. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I wonder whether that kind of childhood even exists anymore. Cause
1: yeah, I think so back different. to like... If I go back in our farm today, I'm like, oh, that's where I had like my secret hut. Yeah. And that's where I had, you know, that imaginary house that I lived in. And that's where I hid in the ditch for a day when I ran away from home. <laughs> and, you know, and you're like, do kids do that anymore? That's so sad. If yeah. they oh
0: My goodness.
1: <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's talk about the second
0: desert island dish. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook.
1: So, you know what? it's not so much a dish, it's a type of thing. So one of the first things I learned how to make, and this is so strange, but it was a roux sauce. Ooh. Yeah, I know. So yeah, I remember my gran, my dad still does it now. So my dad's actually the cook of the house. He okay. loves cooking. I'm sorry, no offense, mom. Mom is a great <laughs> at making desserts. So uh, cauliflower with, parsley, white sauce was kind of always on our dinner table. And I loved it. It was the only way to get me to eat vegetables as a kid. So um, I always wanted to know how to make the white sauce. So a roux base was obviously how you're going to create it and also goes into pastries and different things like that. So I think I became like, the rue connoisseur in the house and I was always the first one to get up and make it. Um, So is my speciality. The rue connoisseur.
0: (laughs) So from quite a young age, you say that you were really into debating and that you loved politics. You decided to go to college to study politics, but as fate would have it, you got scouted as a model in the very first week. How did you juggle that? You did the two, did you do the two simultaneously side by side or did you have to pick one?
1: So for a while I did the both of them. Like I think the thing with colleges, you kind of dip in and out and no one yeah. notices as much, you know, um, like looking back, I'm obviously glad the way everything turned out, you know, getting into the modeling industry was a fantastic way to travel, but I'm still very much into debating and very much into having a political view. And I think I've just looked at it in a way now that instead of going that route, I just chose another route where I have a platform where I can, you know, really express my thoughts yeah. and opinions. And for me, what I'm really passionate about is, well, there's a few things, but number one is definitely sustainability. Also, do you think, are we getting
0: an inside scoop that maybe you could be running for president?
1: Look, you never know. You <laughs> never know. <laughs> that is not a yeah. no.
0: <laughs> so we all know from the outside that modeling is really tough. And often you start at a young age like you did. Did it change the relationship you had with your body and your approach to food?
1: When I first started modeling, um I I think I was so flabbergasted that someone actually wanted me to model because had you really never thought of it before? No, you know, I guess, you know, growing up, you'd watch those shows like America's Next Top Model. And the only thing that resonated with me was like, if someone chopped off my hair like that, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, like <laughs> so I guess when I first started modeling, I didn't see that I was any different for me. I was like extra tall in comparison to other girls. I'm surely that's a great thing. I just loved the buzz of going on a shoot and people doing hair and makeup. I never really overthought what I ate or what I looked like. And I guess that's the thing. I went in with such confidence and I came out of it with no confidence. And that was really down to, I guess, the agents themselves, you know, they're only taking direct commands from the runways and the actual big brands. It's not really their fault. They're in an industry where they need to make money too. Like, I definitely think there's a way that they could say it to younger girls, which could be better, maybe a little bit more educational, you know, actually giving them advice rather than just telling them what to do. Yeah. And especially
0: thinking of the girls kind of as products rather than people.
1: Yeah. And I guess at the end of the day, like, you know, as as a model, you're just a paycheck really at the end of the day to them. But 10 years ago, if I looked up how to lose weight, Well, first of all, it was these crazy diets. You know, there's always a diet. There was no, there was nothing really you could find online that was actually just, okay, look, here's a way you can lose weight. That's actually moderate and it's not drastic. And you're going to do this over a certain amount of time, but you know, it's going to be sustainable. And to be honest with you, I did not need to lose weight. If anything, I probably could have just maybe lifted a bit of weight to tone up, you know, (laughs) but when you're younger, 18, like, weightlifting for women wasn't such a huge thing well particularly Mm. it wasn't the mainstream like obviously now if you go on Instagram you have so many amazing people to follow which give you free guides free advice you know it's fantastic and that's one of the beauties about social media because I think we can get caught up in the whole negative negativity of it whereas if I look back if I had social media back then I probably would have wouldn't have made so many mistakes
0: yeah that's really true I hadn't thought about that but in that aspect, things have changed so much. And as you say, definitely for the better. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it when I was researching you and I think it does sort of take away any innocence that you had in a way as a child because when you're younger, food is just this sort of pure, unadulterated joy. Yeah. And then as you get older and you sort of figure out that it's something There's that, good
1: and there's bad. And yeah. You should, maybe after eating the bad thing, you should feel bad about it. Yeah. And maybe you should not eat so much the next day to counterbalance it. You mm. know what? I think... All in all, you need to kind of be able to come back and just wipe away the whole thing of like good versus bad, because at the end of the day, you need to live life as well. And if food is something that you're constantly in a vicious circle, you need to end it because, you know, food is something that should be enjoyed. It's the center of a family it, there's me so much passion in and I know there's a lot of people out there just go oh I just eat to feel myself but at the same time and they don't overthink it and that's fantastic you know but I guess for a lot of people out there they struggle with the whole food guilt and getting a, a control of that and managing it can be quite difficult really difficult and
0: I thought as well someone who found such comfort and joy in cooking that must have been a really difficult and quite confusing time.
1: Yeah, I guess when I first started modeling, I moved away from home and then I kind of ended up moving to New York and I just kind of stopped cooking and baking. It was kind of like I need to not do it because I'm one of those people if I make a bread I and yeah. eat that thing or <laughs> the whole thing. I was being nice to myself there, but I eat the whole thing. <laughs> and you know, it doesn't even get to my freezer. So I stopped it altogether and God I just remember being when I was living in New York, just waking up and being like, "What should I eat now? What's going to be really healthy?" And just having like steamed broccoli for breakfast. Oh, and, wow. yeah, I know. And like, look, broccoli's great, but like you know, with a few other things yeah. you know thrown in there. <laughs> and I just remember the house I lived in. Like all the other miles were fantastic, but we were all slightly miserable because. They now, I I didn't smoke or anything, but like you know, they were just smoking out the window just to kind of occupy themselves, or you know, drinking cans and cans of diet drinks and so much coffee, just suppressing, suppressing the whole time. And I was like, I didn't really overthink it at the time. It's only kind of growing up. I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I just kind of, in a way, at the when I was in New York, I I remember thinking, oh, I'm just after failing. This is me. I'm such a failure. I couldn't get down to the weight that they wanted. But at the same time, looking back, I'm like, I'm glad I actually just had enough self respect and just this yeah. is my shape. I can't actually get any smaller. Oh yeah, so I'm going to go home.
0: So good. Okay, so this isn't the most natural segue, but let's pause there and talk about the third Desert Island Dish, and that's <laughs> the best dish you've
1: ever eaten. Uh, okay, so it was actually in London. Yes, I started going with my boyfriend about two and a half years ago, and one place he said I really need to go visit when I was in London was Palomar. <gasps> Now, I love Middle Eastern food. So we went there one night and I literally had to unzip my pants. leaving. It was, I was like, I have a pain in my back. I've eaten so much. But it was (laughs) such a nice mixture of food, you know, from their, from their polenta mash, from their hummus falafels. It was all so, so delicious. Um, And I always just remember looking back going, that was one of my favorite meals. We actually sat at the bar where you could see them making everything. So it was a really entertaining night. I just always remember it as one of my favorite kind of food memories. Yeah, yeah. Have you been back since? No, it's kind of one of those things where I almost don't want to ruin it. Yeah. Does that ever happen? Oh my yeah. God, completely. Yeah, you just want to sort of keep it yeah, in a Yeah, keep box that box little box. Like, yeah. <laughs> but um, they do have a sister restaurant, which I'm going to try out. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's a safe yeah. bet.
0: <laughs> okay, so the modeling then turned to pageantry. You won Miss Universe Island in 2010, which is a pretty impressive accolade. And that meant that you went to America to represent Ireland in the world contest. You were still really young at that point. What was that all like? Because it must have been a bit of a whirlwind.
1: I guess entering Miss Universe Ireland, that was kind of at the start of modeling. So I still had this like crazy confidence, you know, and I was still a little bit in I was in college, I'd say a little bit because like half and half. (laughs) So when I entered Miss Universe, I think I entered on the last day. I remember emailing them like, hey, can you let me in? Like I'm after missing registration. But sure, like someone said I should do it. So I'm going to go for it. Uh, I was at a shoot and a photographer was like, you should enter it 100%. I went to the heat. Um, I ended up winning that segment. So I represented a small nightclub in Dublin, Ooh. which I'd never been to before <laughs> until that night. And, um, and then I ended up going on to Miss Universe Ireland and I actually didn't win the first year. Okay the first year I came second, but I was only 18. And they were like, you should really try again next year with a bit more of your experience underneath you. And, you know, maybe learn how to do your hair and makeup. You know, I was like, whoa, I was like, I I wish I had photos to show you right now. I wish you guys could visualize this, but just imagine an orange. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Okay. I wasn't great at fake tan. So I went back the next year and I ended up winning and I head off. I headed off to las vegas that's where the competition was on for four weeks so imagine four weeks in vegas that was enough of a shock yeah. um and actually prior to vegas i end up going i got an opportunity to go train pageant train okay with two pageant coaches so oh it was goodness. honestly like miscongeniality yeah. because you know growing up you're like do like growing up to bray like do pageants even like when i think of pageants i think of like texan texas pageants yeah and that's very much what it's like <laughs> Yeah. So is I mean, that, is my
0: only point of reference is miscongeniality.
1: Congeniality. Yes. Is it like that? It was 100% like that. I, obviously without the whole drama of like, I know peace, women. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I remember training Columbia and my padding coaches who were so much fun used to make me wear heels everywhere, everywhere. So now you're amazing. Oh my God. Yeah, well, now I guess I'm, you know, I don't have to wear heels. I'm really into like squatting and dead. I'm all about, you know, my flexibility, Mm -hmm. ankle mobility. So, but I remember them used to make me do flights and flights of stairs and heels and then come down because they were like, you're going to have to walk downstairs and heels. Oh yeah. Coming down is way hard. So, um, you know, it was, it was such funny. I look back in that time and I'm like, it feels like another life. Like it feels like that wasn't even me, but looking back, it's so funny. And when people even see photos of me back in the pageant day, they're like, that is not you. And I'm like, it is. You are so different now. And do you have to have a special talent? Is that one of the? No. So Miss Universe is. It was at at that time was owned by Trump and CNN. So I don't think talent was a required. It wasn't a required thing now. But if I had to do talent, I would have baked everyone again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh goodness, yes, that would have been, <laughs> yeah,
0: Your Rue would have definitely won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? And maybe not that surprising that it was owned by Donald Trump. Yeah. But at that time, he was just a billionaire property magnate and mm. famous for being the host of The Apprentice. Yes. Did you meet so, him?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, loads of time. So when we were in Miss Universe, we met him, I think it was like the last week kind of in the lead up to the competition. And I remember he stopped and was like, Ireland? You're from Ireland? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, you've got great, go- great golf course- courses. And I was oh, like, yes, yeah, we do. I was like, I've never played golf. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then actually he got me signed to Trump Models. Oh, right. So I got signed by Trump Models after the competition. I didn't win. I came seventh, but they signed me and I moved straight to New York. Okay. Um, so I've been in his office. I've had the chats. And this is obviously all before he ran for president. And we all realized that, you know, he's probably not someone new on time. Yeah. yeah. And that was an, in a more innocent time. Yeah. Little did we know yeah. what was in store. All we knew was the apprentice. Yeah. yeah. How crazy is mm-hmm. that? Okay.
0: Let's talk about the fourth desert island dish. Okay. And that's your favorite sandwich.
1: Ooh, this is hard because I feel like I lost seven years of sandwich eating from modeling. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, definitely. Um, you know what? It's hard, but I think it would have to be a fish buddy. Ooh, yeah. that's a great one. Yeah. So I feel like I would have that now. Like, you know, as a real comfort food and anyone who's been to Ireland, like we do great fish and chips. Okay. So talk me through your perfect butty. So you have to get batch bread. Yeah. Yeah. So none, none of that fancy stuff like sourdough or anything, just some batch bread. Yeah. White sliced. Yes. White sliced, a little bit toasted. I like it crunchy. I like the, I like the, the toast crunchy. I don't really like it too soft. I personally don't like really processed, fish fingers but if you can get really nice that we have some fa- fantastic brands in ireland that do really delicious ones that are kind of a little bit more you know natural a bit more natural yeah so i get those with kind of some mushy peas might throw actually a few potato chips in there and i'd obviously mix i'm i'm like obviously yeah. <laughs> a little bit of ketchup on me to make oh, a yeah. sauce yeah. obviously yeah. yeah
0: delicious that there sounds really go. good yeah. So far from the glamour and glitz of the modelling world that we see in glossy magazines, you did have a tough time with it, both in New York and then in South Africa. And it all resulted in you coming back to Ireland. And that's when you launched your blog, Natural Born Feeder. Tell us a bit
1: about that. So. I decided to move home and actually I was living in Dublin at the time and I actually decided not to move to Dublin to move to Tipperary. I think things got so bad for me. I was like, I just want to really be alone, like go back to my childhood because I felt like I'd almost kind of lost my way a bit, that I had developed such a bad relationship with myself, with food, and I needed to almost go back to where I started I think that happened with a lot of people. It's almost like a little bit of grounding. Yeah. So I went home. Well, yeah, because you flew the nest in quite a dramatic fashion yeah. to go and travel the world. So I, think so I, I went home and I kind of just said I wasn't going to do anything for a month. And it didn't last a month because, you know, if you're down to pray that long now, <laughs> things get a little boring now. No, <laughs> I had a great time with my family. But I just went back and I remember saying, I'm just going to do this the right way. I'm going to really, really... <sighs> wipe away the idea that my body is just for show. My body is actually going to be the same body I'm going to have for the rest of my life. And I'm going to start treating it right. And once I do start treating it right, it's going to respond in such a positive way. I can't keep just being so negative toward it and resenting myself. I got to stage where I would see strangers walking in the street and I would go, I wish I had their legs. I wish I had. And I was like, why do I hate myself so much? So I was kind of going home to really relearn all that and just you know what it really was lift that stress yeah that stress of always having to be in like a look a certain way it must have felt like quite a big weight had lifted yeah and I guess like there's loads of models out there who may not be able to relate to this who just naturally you know tall and lean and never have to worry about their skin but I was at an age where I was fluctuating quite a lot in weight in my early 20s when I was moving countries all the time my skin would break out and it was this pressure of Oh my God. I hope no one sees me like this. And it's a horrible thing not to really be able to feel yourself. Yeah. So I went home and honestly, it was a catalyst to kind of really springing me back into me. Um, I, I still went through some rough times. It took me a long time. I think then for a while, I went a little bit orthorexic in terms of like, I got too extreme and too healthy, too well. Yeah. You know what? Like I need to have like, where's that from? Where's this from? I couldn't just relax around food. So I think. I tried to find balance. I went a little bit over across that line, still had a little bit of control over food. And that's actually when I went and went to CBT um, to really help with kind of my control issues around food and just letting go of that kind of anxiety still, which I had from modeling about yeah. putting on weight. And so how did the idea come
0: to turn all of this into a blog?
1: So while I was kind of, I started Not Born feeder, about two years after I got home. And at that stage, I just started CBT. So actually, I think starting Natural Born Feeder made me realize, well, firstly, food is 100% my passion. But secondly, I needed to deal with my food issues because I suppose it really may put them in the forelight. Yeah. Because I was talking about food all the time. And then I became this food person that I needed to make sure that I was dealing with my issues. I didn't want to be like a hypocrite. Yeah. So, and that's kind of how Natural Born Feeder started. Yeah. Well, I love that because it's sort of,
0: a testament to you falling back in love with food and discovering this way of life that really worked for you. And probably part of the reason that it's been so successful is that it was completely authentic and you and your readers were kind of learning together.
1: Yeah. And I guess a huge reason why I started an Front Feeder, and I think this message might've gotten lost along the way with just loads of recipes, was to really help any young girls, young guys not really go through what I went through with just a huge diet culture and yo-yoing and, I suppose, just looking at food in a negative way and Mm. making sure that everyone's relationship with food is positive, it's fun and tasty. Yeah. Then in the middle of all of this, you discover triathlons and you've just
0: done... Iron Women competitions, which is so impressive, and I'm totally in awe. Tell us, firstly, what is the difference between a triathlon and an Iron Woman?
1: So, an Iron Man. So, I did an Iron Man seventy. Is it 70 an Iron Man or an Iron Woman? So, I know. Yeah, I, know, I didn't want quality. to. Speak. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Um, I started triathlons, and this is because my older sister uh, Becky. She does. The full distance Ironmans all over the world and her boyfriend. So he actually trains people. So I started taking on triathlons. I did an Ironman 70.3. So an Ironman 70.3 is actually half. So I'm not as hardcore as my sister okay. just yet, but, um, I did that in Austria and basically this. There's so many different lengths when it comes to triathlons. Okay. And for me... But it's cycling, swimming and running. Cycling, swimming and running, yeah. And I still do them all individually. I obviously have trained, I'm a qualified personal trainer as well. So for me, at the moment, I'm really focusing on programming because, you know, it's obviously something that's huge at the moment. I think for women and for men, it's a fantastic smart way to get results that you want um, by not overtraining and by just being scientific about it, you know? Yeah. So I've like, I think a huge part of thing about me when it comes to food and sports is trying everything, experimenting. The one thing that I always say to people with food is experiment to find what you like, what suits you. And it's the exact same thing with training. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, you
0: say... Only did a half. I watched my brother do <laughs> a half and I, I, I cried like the whole way around. Cause I was just it's so... so
1: emotional. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I watched, my... he thought I was being so weird. Cause yeah. every time he came around a quarter, I was just there. Like, I know, <laughs> but I remember going to see my sister do a full one in Copenhagen. And every time she came around the corner, I was like, oh, I'm so proud of <laughs> yeah. you. It's yeah. amazing, isn't it?
0: And so obviously you've been on this incredible food journey. How has training to this sort of professional level of sport like? Changed your mindset on food.
1: You know what? It really changed my views in fueling yourself correctly. So yeah. I think when I started doing triathlon, I realized I wasn't fueling myself, even though I was kind of getting back on track. I wasn't really keeping an eye on what I what I ate. Now I, I don't like to talk about numbers too much, but it kind of made me very aware of what macros we need depending on our on our activity levels. Yeah, and it's a fantastic and smart way to really understand what your body needs. And how you should be fueling it, depending on your goal. So for me, it definitely made me realize, you know, I would have spent years cutting out carbohydrates and things like that. You know, if you looked up the (laughs) carbohydrates 10 years ago, it was like, do not eat them. They make you fat. Well, you know, overeating just makes you fat, not carbohydrates. So for me, it was just one of those things like really like getting back into that Way of eating that's just fueling your body. Looking at food as not just a good or bad thing; it's just you know fueling yourself, right? Yeah, it's a really interesting way of looking at it, and I think yeah, it just adds another string
0: to your bow in terms of what you're doing with food. It's really interesting. Let's talk about the fifth desert
1: island okay. dish, and that's the dish you eat the most often. Oh, that is so tough. The dish I eat the most often would probably be nasi goreng. Ooh, yeah. So, um, I love Indonesian cuisine. And I recently just came back from Bali. Now, even before I went to Bali, you know, I was always a fan of Nazi crying. But I think since coming home now, I've had it pretty much every single day. It's just so quick and easy. Was that your first time going? First time in Bali, I know. I've just been like looking at people go on Instagram all the time. And I'm like, so jealous. I eventually, eventually got over. And it lived up to expectations. Oh, it did. Big time. The food was delicious. um, Obviously, the weather was fantastic. And it was just a nice escape. Yeah. yeah. So talk us through how do you make
0: your version of nasi garang?
1: Okay. Nasi garang. First of all, I actually put a little bit of water in my deep frying pan, not oil because I like to add a little bit of oil later on. Um, So I put a little bit of water in, I'll saute off a little bit of shallots. Mm-hmm. Sounds so fancy. Yeah. Now. Look, there's a really quick version on the blog too, but this is like, if I have time version, Um, some shallots, a little bit ginger, I'll put in some sambal oelek, which is basically just chili paste. I actually put in curry paste into mine as well, just a tablespoon just to and this is serving for two people just because then it gets like so many other flavors into it in a really quick and easy way i'll kind of let them brown off a little bit then i'll throw in some shredded cabbage some shredded carrots let them wilt down add in my rice put a little bit of tamari over it again and some tofu yum yeah and I, and then i'll fry an egg to pop on the top yeah that sounds yeah. really good. i'm yeah. not surprised you've had that every day it oh it's amazing. so good and so quick and easy <laughs>
0: Now, amongst all of the very cool things that you've done in your career so far, there is one particular thing that I've been dying to ask you about. You went on Come Dine With Me.
1: Oh, my God. Yes, I (laughs) did. So I think it was like seven years ago now I did the Celebrity Come Down With Me and it was the first Irish Come Down With Me and it was hilarious. I was only talking about it earlier. There's so many repeats on Channel 4 and, you know, I get tweets the whole time being like, oh my God, is that you? And I actually won. I know. Yeah. So it was for charity. I think my charity at the time, I think the chosen charity was Make-A-Wish. And yeah, it was so much fun. It was so, fantastic. For anyone who doesn't know, I
0: mean, it's such an
1: institution,
0: but it's a cookery competition. It's a television show and you compete against each other to host the best dinner party. And then you rate each other on your cooking yeah. and your hosting skills. And
1: so I kind of played them all off. Okay, okay so <laughs> I was gonna going to ask you about the into, tactics. Yeah, going into a TV show, I knew that when I watched Come Down With Me, I always love to see the underdog win. <laughs> so going in, I <laughs> pretended I was really, really bad, like terrible. So what day were you cooking on? So I was cooking the third Okay So and I really like that Because I was in the middle You know Because I always feel like The first night people Are a bit sketchy With their their numbers Because they're like No I don't want to You know hype it up too much Yeah going fast is the worst Yeah So the second night You know you're kind of like Oh you'll give better ratings. The third night, you'd probably give your best ratings. And then Thursday and Friday, you're going, oh no, I need to win this again, you know? So what I did was I pretended I was really, really, really terrible in the kitchen. And everyone believed me because I was 21 at the time. So they were like, oh, this poor girl she's just out of college. She's probably a disaster in the kitchen. I also told them I've never hosted a party before. I love hosting dinner <laughs> parties. My mom, that's what she brought me up to do was host a dinner party. Roz, so, Ross, are you um quite competitive? No, I'm so competitive. <laughs> like I would... I would set a competition there. If you said we're going to the shop, I'd be like, meet you there. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm very competitive in nature. Do you remember what your winning menu was? Okay, so it was actually a saints and sinners menu. Okay. So what I did was um, I did an indulgent dish with a very kind of clean dish. I think my beginner dish was, I think it was some sort of falafel mm. with, um, and then back seven years ago, falafel was yeah. pretty, pretty good. I yeah, know, pretty um, out there. And I think, I think my main, one of the mains anyway, this is back when I ate ate, um, meat. It was a kind of a really delicious lamb tangine with taboo salad. And then I remember one of my, one of my desserts was a raspberry posset with shortbread biscuit. But I actually, at that time I'd been starting to experiment. So it was a vegan raspberry posset. So I'd use coconut cream and I'd use agar agar to set the jelly and, make a kind of a real vegan buttery shortbread so they were all like what the hell yeah I came <laughs> out and they're like what and I was like oh no I just threw this together is it any good yeah I, yeah I don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and then I won <laughs>
0: that's amazing I love that and what like the previous nights were you kind of looking around
1: thinking like, I've got this is... in the bag no I kept being like yours is so good I don't yeah, know but how did you, did you know, think like, that? oh am, well no okay so you know there was a few people on the show like two or three, you go, they don't have a chance. I knew it was always going to be between me and another guy. <laughs> that is so yeah. funny. We're still great friends, me and that other guy. Yeah. And does the Irish version, do you have the same voiceover? Yes, the same voiceover. He's amazing. Oh, he's, he's so, so funny. He's like, so, so dry. Yeah. I think
0: he's called Dave Lamb. And yeah. I'm a big fan. <laughs> so you've written two best selling cookbooks and a third is apparently in the works. Yes. What's going to be the premise of um, that?
1: So the third, I myself, my diet has kind of, I don't like to call it diet. Right? My lifestyle has changed quite a bit in the past two years. I introduced a lot more plant-based recipes. This is predominantly for sustainability reasons. So, you know, it was one of those things where I'd replace, you know, two meals a week with a plant-based one, not really being so focused on, you know, like protein is the is the middle of my plate and what yeah. goes around it. And then eventually got to stage where I'm probably like 90% plant-based okay. and just with the exception of a few eggs. and and, and, uh, yeah fish buddy sandwich (laughs) so yeah i'm about 90 percent, and i guess for me even the blog has gone that way now i always said when i started natural feeder i'd never become an advocate for one type of one type of lifestyle or or whatever it is eating way because everyone is so different and it's so individual yeah um but for me i guess i look at it as a way that i'm just inspiring people to eat more vegetables yeah i would never tell people what to do with their diets you know it's really up to them but for me just getting more vegetables in can do no harm. So the next book is going to be natural born feeder and it's going to be, um, vegan. So it's going to be from breakfast, lunch, dinner, all sorts of recipes, but just keeping kind of the ethos of making food easy. Yeah.
0: And not, I like that you're not dictating to other people what they should eat, but then it makes sense that your blog and your recipes reflect the way that you do personally eat.
1: Exactly. And I guess like the one thing, this book isn't just going to be for, they're plant-based eaters, it's for meat eaters, it's for everyone yeah. who just wants to try a new recipe. Yeah.
0: And am I right that I read that when you have a shower, you... Have a bucket in the bath, and yes, then you so, water all your plants. With it's the actually
1: bucket. a thing I stole from a Scandinavian site. They a lot of people do this that they'll have like a water bucket in their shower to collect um, excess water for you know watering your plants yeah. or different things around. Does it matter if the water's soapy? So, the, so what I tend to do is I'll put the bucket in. You know, before you start washing your hair and stuff, yes. that like. That minute you have where you're like, Oh, what am I doing? Oh, I'm in the chair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a shock. To yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay. I think that- and you'd fill up a bucket pretty quickly. It's it's kind of shocking when you <gasps> see it. Yeah. 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 I
0: feel like that's a good tip. I'm gonna mm-hmm. start doing that. We're well, on to the sixth desert island dish, and that's your go-to dinner party dish.
1: Ooh, go to dinner party dish is my aubergine tangine. Mm-hmm. So it went from a lamb tangine to yes. an aubergine tangine. But you know what? It's just so easy. You can do it in the slow cooker or you can do it on the hob and it takes about you know 45 minutes okay um and of course the great thing about veggies is it's so cheap to make yeah so you good. know and you don't need to advertise
0: that to your dinner party guests but <laughs> yeah i know yeah no you don't
1: and it's very impressive because people are like oh this is such a fancy like and it tastes yeah. delicious and they know um, you spent you know a, a long time, time doing it yeah. yeah and i guess the hardest part is it, it's just dicing up the aubergine and then yeah. it's just plain sailing yeah yeah <laughs> and if you've got a sharp knife that's not oh yeah no.
0: do you serve a pudding
1: Oh yeah, I'm massive. I'm massive dessert, and you know what? I have. I never make the same dessert twice for friends calling over because I always just love trying new things. Like the biggest hit lately, and I think it's probably the one I'll make a few times over. Is I've made a delicious new vegan carrot cake, um, and with like a cashew uh, mascarpone, so it's really really good. And my boyfriend was like, "Don't make that again," because he ate like the half of the cake. I was like, came back in, I was like, "It's gone." He was like. At all, and you know he's one of those people that you know he loves to go to the gym and stuff. And he's like, I just don't know how, like all this nice stuff in the fridge. I'm going to have to eat it. Yeah. You know? He's like me, you know, when it's there, you just, just yeah. Shame
0: to- me and my husband are exactly the same. But sometimes I'll be making something for a cooking job, but I'll come back and it's
1: been eaten. Oh, and my husband's
0: eaten it. I, there's, okay, I have so job. many sticky notes that say "Do not touch." <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to so need many. to invest yeah. in sticky notes. So we have a cookbook corner on Desert Island Dishes, and I want to know what's your most treasured cookbook.
1: It is Ottolenghi, Jerusalem. Ooh, yes, a classic. Um, it was. It's one of my favorite books. I always go back to it. I think actually, you know, when I was a meat eater, you know, his lamb shawarma and just things like that. You just can't beat. He's so much detail in his recipes, and he has so many veggie dishes. Like, so I still use the book. He has fantastic vegetable and rice dishes. I'm always going back to, him. and every time I come over to London, I always try to go to one of his restaurants. He's a huge inspiration to me. Um, I think in the whole cooking kind of world like yeah. you know when he started bringing out his books all of a sudden every small cafe was doing these you know falafels and courgette burgers and yeah. stuff like that so you know i think he just had a huge influence over everyone and for good reason he really all his all of his recipes work out 100 yeah. percent. he's meticulous
0: yeah oh, yeah you're so right it was a complete game changer mm-hmm. i like yeah the sort of day his book came out, I was getting requests for private catering being like, we just want Ottolenghi-style salads. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the most used phrase yeah. ever. <laughs> We're on to the seventh and final Desert Island dish. And that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island.
1: So I definitely think the last dish I would have before being cast off would have to be something that would be nostalgic again. And now look, I'm Irish, so of course there's potatoes in there. Um, and would, I think it would just have to be like growing up, our family mashed potato is served with every meal. So I think delicious kind of buttery mashed potato. And my second favorite food is curry. So it would be served with the curry. Because mm. I know a lot of people like curry and rice, but no mashed potato. There are no That's rules. sauce, you know, yeah. yeah. So I think it would obviously be a really delicious uh, vegetable coconut creamy curry. Yeah. yeah, with loads of mashed potato. Loads of buttery mashed yeah. potato. Okay. Yeah, okay, so vegan, but then the mashed potato. I'm getting potato so hungry. Like my mouth is watering right <laughs> now. <too>. Yeah. <laughs> and then dessert. It would be something in the lines of, you know, kind of, nostalgic again either a crumble or a tart with loads of custard yeah. Yeah. Okay. that
0: sounds amazing yeah. I will be joining yeah. you, <laughs> Ros Purcell those were your desert island dishes thank you so much thanks for having me So there we have it, another delicious day of Desert Island Dishes. Don't forget you can find me on Instagram at Margie Nomura. You can also sign up to the newsletter at desertislanddishes.co where you'll also find lots of lovely recipes and various bits and bobs to read. Don't forget to leave that five-star review on iTunes if you haven't already. And other than that, I think that's it. So I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.